Jaws for a minute, the podcast which takes a deep dive into Steven Spielberg's 1975 classic film, Jaws, minute by minute, or thereabouts. I'm MJ Smith. And I am Sarah Buttery, and we are here with another action-packed minute of Jaws, and this is a... There's a lot happening in, in this scene. Uh, we sort of spoke about this quickly just before we started recording, and I watched this scene, I think, 15 times, which is the most I've watched... Uh, a scene in preparation for this. How about you, MJ? Did you have to watch it multiple times as well to get everything? I watched it once because I forgot we were recording on a <laughs> different day. So, no. <laughs> that wasn't me, like, deliberately trying to make you look bad, by the way. I genuinely didn't know how many <laughs> times you had watched it. <laughs> well, I you... <laughs> forgot we were recording until two minutes before our, recorded, our scheduled recording time. So, I got, I got one viewing in. Yeah, we did. We had to. Uh, we moved recording day as well, so it's it's thrown us off a little bit. So I think that's how I got to watch it so many times because I watched it a handful of times yesterday and then again today just before recording because I yeah. was like, I just want to have it real fresh in the brain. But um, yeah, for a for just over a minute long, this this scene is that we're talking about today. There's an awful lot that happens in this and a lot happening on different levels as well in terms of what you're seeing and what you're hearing. So I think this is going to be a really good discussion and we're going to have a lot to get into. So um, the bit that we are talking about, the timestamp of this scene, if you're following along at home, is 14 minutes and 43 seconds up to 15 minutes and 55 seconds. Um, I did just want to flag because I had a couple of people mention it to me on Twitter, but we are going by the timings on the Blu-ray um, I know it is slightly different if you're watching it on uh, one of the streaming services. So we'll always try and uh, give a little overview of what's happening in, in the scene we're talking about as well. But if you go over by a bit, yeah, no, it's no loss because you've just watched Jaws and Jaws is great. Mm-hmm. Um, but <laughs> so where we kick off this scene is um, exactly where we left off last week. And Pippet's owner is sort of playing tug of war with him with a stick on the beach um and then it finishes up uh just as the group of kids uh including the two Brody children are kind of heading out to the sea and we see alex in the distance that's where we end um okay there's a lot to talk about here i'm gonna throw it over to you first mj for your uh your observations and things that kind of stood out to you uh in in this scene uh first thing i noticed is this theme uh should surprise no one i suppose uh, the predator prey thing again. Um, I noticed for the first time, probably because we've mentioned it several times, that Brody is kind of looking at these people as though he were the shark. Like he's trying to get into the shark's head. So we see the shot of the woman in the bathing suit who's just kind of floating on her back. And then we see Brody. And then someone walks in front of the camera. And we see. Uh, Alex Kittner and someone walks in front of the camera and we see Brody and we see him as people are walking trying to kind of avoid them he's hyper focused on the people in the water and I think it's you know it's in a different way than Tom and Chrissy it's in a different way than Larry and, and Brody on the on the ferry it's him trying to figure out the sort of pathology of this unknown creature um but he's still doing it he's still trying to act like predator but Mm. almost like in the name of bringing it to justice (laughs) um Mm. and he's you know he's trying to get into its head and, and see how it works and how it would think and i'm sure he's looking at them going okay well which one of them looks the tastiest which is <laughs> which is probably like a weird thing but you have to like if you're chasing a killer like i mean i think we see that in all the 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 you know police procedurals where they're trying to tr- track down a serial murderer where it's like mm. okay so 
what do these victims have in common? What would this victim have in common if they get attacked today versus Chrissy, you know? Um, so in the name of police work, Brody is acting like a predator. Mm, yeah, it's like, <laughs> is it that meme of uh, Julia Roberts where like all the equations are like in front of her face or something? <sighs> like mm-hmm. that's what is going through Brody's mind i think as as he's like plotting or looking out at this scene in front of him just like okay right he's over there she's there this is happening and it's all kind of like playing out across his face and something like very interesting happens in the editing in this scene as well which is i think one of the big things i want to talk about in this moment because uh take a bow verna fields because the editing in this scene is so good um but it it flits between what Brody sees and the the people out at, at sea, which is Alex and the woman and the dog and the couple, um, and then back to back to looking at him, and it does that with these. Um, I don't know if this is the technical term, but it was the term that I found. They call them like natural wipes, or oh. you know, a person wipe or something like that, where a person crosses in front of the the camera, and that is a a, a cut, or that is where the the edit you know it changes and then we see something different after they've kind of like passed um passed by so it's it's really really subtle but when you notice it you you do notice it and they use that technique in a couple of different ways like in this uh in the first part of this scene so initially as each person like crosses in front of the camera it takes us closer and closer to Brody so we're sort of really like honing in on his face and seeing that build in tension and we we spoke about in last week's um scene that he's sort of he's both focused and also like zoned out but it seems like in this in this moment he's definitely more focused and we see that kind of in his face and then this natural wipe thing happens again and and that's when it sort of takes us between us seeing what he sees and then seeing Brody reacting to that thing. Um, interestingly as well, I don't know if you noticed, but our, our good friend Yellow comes back mm-hmm. uh, in this scene as well. And every, pretty much every person that passes in front of the camera uh, you're we- is wearing yellow. So whenever there's that like natural wipe, it's like yellow, yellow. <laughs> and yeah. again, yellow. So it's really kind of like hammering that point home about that that color and what it signifies not something we've spoken about quite a bit but yeah i'd I'd not really thought about the the predator prey dynamic kind of coming back but i think you're right and i think it's it's a different way of of looking at it because obviously we know brody is not you know the bad guy but he is still trying to to catch something or to see something he's trying to catch that shark that's what he's doing so when you look at it in that sense he you know he is the predator the shark is the thing that he wants to catch that's the prey and i think that's a very interesting way of kind of like turning it on its head because we so often see it the other way around and pretty much from this point onwards you know the shark is the predator and anyone else in its path is the prey yeah i think also too we get a sense of him kind of staring at the void and the void staring back like when Mm. even though we're getting closer it really feels like the camera is in the middle of the ocean like it feels yeah it it, it's this weird thing where it almost feels like even though the shark isn't above the water that its presence or like the abstract idea of it is also looking back at him trying to figure him out and um, you get this really cool, it's almost like a shot reverse shot that's completely wordless. It honestly, especially with the natural wipes and stuff, this might be a weird comparison, but it almost feels like a, like, like something you would see in like a French New Wave movie. Like it feels very artful and mm-hmm. um, thought about, like, I don't think, like if this scene were in like a Godard movie, I don't know if I would question it, <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's funny you say that actually, and I'm just uh, hastily googling in the background because I, the the article that I was reading about this, if I can't find it now, I will have to send it to you. But it did make that um, that comparison um, with uh, French New Wave. 
Um, what? Here we go. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Look, you are smarter than you give yourself credit for. Um, it says, uh, let me just find it. Maybe a stylistic flourish Spielberg picked up from the French New Wave. Truffaut does a similar jump cutting pattern with a doorbell in a film I'm not going to try and pronounce. <laughs> uh, but, it, <laughs> but it has real meaning and impact here. Just as Brody is irritated by his field of vision being interrupted, so are we. So there we go. Uh, you can just say that you were, uh, well, you're, you're super smart. You thought the same thing as whoever wrote this uh, lovely article about Jaws's editing. <laughs> Yay. I actually, so before we started recording, I told you, hang on one second, because I, need to, I needed to Google and make sure that this won Best Editing at the Oscars. And it did. Mm-hmm. Um, it did. <laughs> because it's so good. And I think this is, I think this is where, I think this is a really great example of like, editing is more than runtime. Um, mm-hmm. and I think people forget that a lot. So I know like a common criticism of a lot of Scorsese's later work in particular is that it's too long. It's too long. It's not edited. It's not well edited. Like the Irish people complain about that in the Irishman a lot. And I really loved that movie. And, mm-hmm. uh, there, I think that movie's super well edited and it's long. It's, you know, pushing three and a half, four hours, but that's not necessarily the point of editing. The point of editing is to tell the story. And I feel like that story plays out very well. And so I think this is a perfect example if you wanted to show people that, to show them this scene, because it's one, accessible. It's very famous. Most people have probably already seen it or at least seen a parody of it or a reference to it somewhere. And uh, I think it's a really good scene to emphasize the building blocks of like editing is more than making a movie an hour and a half um mm. which i know sounds weird because on my other show i get flack a lot because like if a movie's <laughs> 75 minutes like that's the perfect movie length for me um but also i i also understand you know um if if a movie's if a movie is longer than let's say two and a half hours i do get very kind of judgmental where it's like okay you better earn it like if you're gonna tell a story this sprawling it better you better have a reason to do so and Mm. so um that's so it's not to say editing for runtime isn't part of it uh because i think it certainly is but it's not the end-all be-all of editing so when you see something like um the irishman get nominated for best editing i don't remember if it got nominated um but i think it did and a lot of people were like, but it was so long. Like, that's not what they're, that's not why they're nominating it. They're not nominating it. If only the shortest movies got nominated, there would be some garbage ass movies that were on the block. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's not, that's not all editing is. Yeah. And I think this, this scene is a perfect example because there is a lot of editing in it and a lot of interesting techniques as well and it just it does go to show that it is like you said it's not just about the runtime or how long a movie is i think that's something that you know is a kind of common misconception when people think about editing and just a side note i saw a a tweet a while ago which was like think of your favorite movie it was probably edited by a woman Mm -hmm. um and verna fields uh obviously is a female editor and uh, scorsese's editor as well as um thelma shoemaker and she's edited i think pretty much she what an icon i let's do another podcast talking about her because yo um i stand she's (laughs) she's amazing (laughs) um that'll be the spin-off after we've uh after we finish doing this podcast i mean (laughs) remember anything that we speak out into the ether it ends up happening so (laughs) we'll see (laughs) i don't want to derail us like we did last week but i (laughs) I fucking love Thelma Schoonmaker. She's yeah. yeah, she's one of like my film heroes. Mm-hmm. Same. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's just i think sometimes people think that noticing the editing in a film is a bad thing, but I really notice it in this in this particular scene and it does serve a purpose. Like you know, we we've got so much from just that kind of natural wipe thing that we were talking about already in that it is you could see it as being you know from the shark's viewpoint kind of like honing in on on Brody and then that kind of it is like a shot reverse shot almost even though we don't see the you know 
we don't see the shark looking at Brody like that would I think look kind of silly but it does sort of like go between those those viewpoints and take us between land and sea so we're we as the audience as well are aware of everything that's happening out at sea those people that are there the potential victims and then we're also seeing what Brody is is going to do next and that wipe technique as well is it shows as kind of comes up uh towards the end of this scene is the distractions as well and that obscuring of Brody's vision is a very deliberate thing because he is not the only person on the beach it's you know the the middle of the afternoon or it's a nice sunny day and and people are out on the beach and it's busy as as you would expect it to be um so that kind of like people crossing in front of his path is something you would expect and it also is something that has come up pretty much since the start of this film is things distracting Brody so the first thing the example I can think of is when he is taking the call in the kitchen and Ellen is fussing over um Sean in the background and then pretty much everything that happens after that there is someone or something distracting Brody whether Mm. it's the karate fence or (laughs) just a whole number of things people with their non-problems and we get a a great uh, example of that in this scene with our good friend Mr. Taft uh, coming over to, to Brody. Yeah. And I think one of my favourite shots in this whole scene is Brody just peering over his shoulder. It just, it makes me laugh so much just because he is not listening to a single thing that this guy is saying. He is just wanting to keep like one eye at all times on the ocean and is... It's, it's just a very it's just a very funny shot the way this guy is kind of like obscuring we we can't see Brody as well and obviously like when he's looking out all he kind of sees is this like big face right in front of him as he's trying to like look out to the ocean as well but yeah it's uh, I just I love this scene so much sorry I'm just There's, like no, gushing over it it's, it's funny because the scene's very tense right and this is I, mm. I don't know if I've talked about it on the show before I might have um but there's a lot of jokes in the scene and Mm -hmm. i think it's this great thing where um i think comedy and horror walk a very similar and fine line which is set up punchline um for Mm. all intents and purposes and the the point is to catch you off guard to elicit a a reaction that bypasses any higher thinking that you have if a joke Mm. in a joke it's to elicit laughter in a scare it's to elicit a scream or a gasp or some sort of physical reaction um of that but both of them rely on the buildup and release of tension and Mm. i think that in this scene there are these wonderful moments of buildup of tension and then these little like almost like pressure release valves along the way in the form of jokes so Mm. you get uh the 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 shark coming up behind the woman in the bathing suit and then it's just bad hat harry coming out of the water (laughs) and then um you even get kind of the 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 silly conversation between Mrs. Taft and Mrs. Kittner, where it's like, "Oh, you're not going to be an island. You're never an islander." Like just bad mouthing these people, even though like before they were like, "Well, we rely on the summer people and the summer dollars." <laughs> um, and then, yeah, Mr. Taft going up, and you get this great setup in the audio that I've never noticed before, where you can hear him <laughs> talking to Mrs. Taft about whether or not this is a good time to go and talk to him about the fact that he needs a zoning permit. And uh, she's, like, trying to talk him out of it. And he's like, no, it's just, like, I I feel like either every friend group has someone's dad who is like that or (laughs) you're the friend whose dad is like that. And, like, the the, the, it'll just take a minute dad is a very universal, relatable thing, I think. Um, And that's exactly the kind of energy Mr. Taft is putting off here. It's so funny when Brody's like, he's literally pushing himself up, basically (laughs) doing like a tricep dip in his sun chair to look over his shoulder. And Mr. Taft is completely oblivious to it. He just (laughs) keeps, keeps on trucking. 
yeah it's very funny to me and i think if if you don't recognize that person in your friendship group then you are probably that person it's you it's definitely yeah (laughs) but um yeah i hadn't really noticed or picked up on that exchange between them before it between mr and mrs taft and it it really made me laugh this time and actually just a, a quick point is that there is so much going on in this scene both things that we're seeing and things that we're hearing that in my many thousand watches of this scene in preparation for the podcast i i had to on one watch kind of only listen and then on the next next one just watch and and do that kind of several times and then try and like watch the scene as a whole because there's so much happening and i really didn't want to miss out on anything at all and i was trying really hard to kind of pick up on what mr taft actually says to brody as well because i think that the way Brody reacts to it, we are expected to kind of half tune out Mr. Taft as well. But I was like, I want to, I want to know what this guy's saying. Um, so he's, he's like, I know you've got a lot of problems downtown. It's like, okay, great. Yep. I'm glad you're acknowledging that. Um, but he says that he's got some cats parking in front of the house. Uh, there's a garbage truck next to the office that looks terrible and he needs a red zone. Um, what is really interesting (laughs) and again is me just reading into one line of dialogue but you know that's what we're here for Um, he's like this is a simple thing you can take care of you've done it before and I was like hmm that's interesting so Hmm. either do people in Amity take advantage of Brody like is you know they're kind of we've seen it i mean in in the film leading up to this point people going up to him with like their non-problems but the way he's like you've done it before i'm like okay that's that's interesting or is it just that usually there is absolutely nothing go going on in amity so brody just kind of like does these boring small town things just for something to do it's probably a combination it's you know little 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 (laughs) column a little column b where it's like, I do think people kind of take advantage of the fact that he's not an Islander. And mm. I think there's definitely this sense, like, you don't want to disrupt when you're new somewhere. Like, you you feel kind of, you know, pun intended, like a fish out of water. And <laughs> so you're, you're kind of trying to figure it out. And, you know, he hasn't been there this long. This is his first summer there, which is mm. less. So he's been there less than a year. He's been there probably a single digit amount of months. And... You know, there's an adjustment period for sure. Um, And you definitely find what the status quo is, what you can change, what's going to piss people off if you change it, and things like that. But it's also... Amity strikes me as the kind of town that has a lot of construction going on in the off-season for some reason. And so when he says that he has cats parked in front of his place, right? Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So yeah, it's like the Caterpillar um, construction equipment. Uh, they're called cats and they're called cats for short so there's some sort of construction going on around mr taft's business and Mm. um because i I, i've always thought he said cars with a weird accent but then today listening to it i was like oh he said cats and i was like why is he complaining about cats and i was like oh the construction equipment well Um, i thought it was like in in the kind of like slang of like you know some oh like 19 cool cats yeah Yeah. (laughs) then i was like that doesn't fit with the time period (laughs) yeah no, it's he's probably referencing the caterpillar construction equipment. Um, Got it. Okay. <laughs> yeah, uh, and so he's probably like, well, you know, so and so had construction going on around their place, so you know, it shouldn't be a problem for you to do it for mine. Mm, yeah, it's. I just yeah, I I wonder if it's like, obviously these these problems or like to the people of amity these kind of small insignificant problems like they're not small things to them and they don't ever kind of go those problems don't really go away and they're obviously you know he's concerned about you know these these things parking in front of in front of his house and what that looks like and whether it is you know just spoiling his pleasant view where i think he says it makes it difficult for him to get to the office or something like that so i think he's just kind of concerned about being able to get out and you know go about his business but yeah it's it's everyone is still oblivious to to what's going to what's really going on um and we are obviously aware that like danger is so is so close like it is minutes yeah. away at this point so it just it makes it 
even more frustrating. And I think as well, like the intensity of how the people in the town confront Brody with their problems, it seems to increase as <laughs> as as we go along. And because it starts off with the guy in comes into the police office and he's sort of like tugging his shirt, and then you get the guy who accosts him as as he is running through town and then you've got mr taft coming up to brody when he is just kicking back and chilling on the beach with his wife and gets right up in his grill and is (laughs) is weirdly quite intimidating as well and i I do really like that shot of obviously from brody's point of view as he is looking out to the ocean and mr taft's face is just like massive like right in the right in the center of the shot um kind of obscuring everything that's going that's happening in the background but it's really kind of catching him at a time you know he's still he's still focused but they they don't know that Brody is you know on the lookout for this shark they have no idea so it's kind of a it's kind of a dick move from Mr Taft really just being like taking advantage of 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 him in sort of like a vulnerable moment almost like he's you know he's not in uniform he's we don't really know what day it is or what I I assume it's a saturday just because of how many kids are around and obviously yeah. it's the holidays but well it's summer um, so they're out of school yeah that's true actually yeah but it's yeah it's <laughs> another thing i like as well is that the what i've put in my notes is like the women's intuition in this scene like you keep your eyes on like mrs taft and ellen Brody in the background and mrs taft like she totally recognizes the point where her husband is like pushing it and she mm. is like, right, okay, and like kind of summons him back. He's basically like, shut up and come back here now. Um, and Ellen as well, kind of sensing Brody's annoyance at what's happening as well. And she kind of like immediately goes goes to him afterwards and is like, are you are you okay? Um, yeah, I, <laughs> I absolutely get the sense that Mr. Taft has done this before whether it is to to Brody or this is just what he's known for like we said just kind of pouncing on people when they when they least expect it but yeah I you you've got to feel for Brody at at this point as well particularly when we know how close danger is and you're just I throughout was just willing this guy to just sit down and shut up because I did not care what he had to say at this point Yep. Uh, also, <laughs> so I did some investigative journalism, by which I mean I googled the date that's on the coroner's report. Um, <laughs> Seven one seventy four was a Monday. Um, okay. So it's either Monday or Tuesday, probably. Uh, but I could also see the town kind of having the week off to uh, prepare for the summer people coming in and the mm. regatta. Um, yeah. like that's kind of the most important thing. So I could see people just kind of like getting prepared and shutting down early and being like, okay, one last deep breath before it gets really crazy for the rest of the season. And mm. just the Islanders can hang out at the beach. Yeah. Cause this is like pre the, the boatloads of tourists arriving, isn't it? So mm-hmm. there, it seems like all the kind of recognizable townspeople are, are out on the beach and maybe making the most of having, you know, the beach to themselves before all those pesky tourists arrive soon yeah it's a real thing people in northern california get a week off at the beginning of ski season called ski week okay that's a strange concept to me it's bizarre (laughs) bizarre i I, I say that i think like i don't know if it's next year or the year after but we're getting like a four or five day long weekend because of it's it's the queen's jubilee of some description Mm-hmm. Um, which is like the most British thing ever. So yeah. Were you? Uh, well, did you guys have to have time? Off? Wait, hang on. Let me not make a fool of myself. Okay. Um, did you guys have to have time off for the Olympics? I don't. Uh, I mean, occasion like not nothing that was enforced like nationally. I think that a lot of places or a lot of companies were quite lenient with people taking time off during that. Like my office that I was working at, the like the road bike race was coming through mm. the town that where the office is. Um so they basically like shut the office and were like, yeah, everyone can go out and watch <laughs> watch yeah. it happen. But I don't think there was 
there might have been like an extra bank holiday or something um it's eight years ago it was a long time ago now i don't yeah. really- I know. I know. I just feel like having something like that size in your town would just disrupt everything for like a week. Like you would just be like, "Well, no works." Get like the entire city shut down because there's (laughs) ten thousand athletes and however many other hundreds of thousands of people coming in for this shit. Like getting anywhere is going to be impossible. Yeah, I think that there was special allowances made. I think during that time for that reason. So yeah, that makes sense. (laughs) Yep. Um, so just going back to something that happens right at the start of this scene and is something that we briefly spoke about last week but I just wanted to bring up again and here is my uh, justification for why I believe that Pippet, the lovely dog survives uh, oh. this ordeal um, it's uh, it, it's a bit of a shot in the dark but you know we'll see and sure. I think it holds up um, so I mentioned in last week's episode that when uh, there's this like cheerful music happening in the background and when alex hits the water the music stops and it is like dead silent and that is to me was kind of like clear foreshadowing of like this kid is going to be the one that gets it because like the him making impact with the water is the thing that makes the kind of takes the joy takes the wind out of the sails Mm -hmm. if you were of this of this whole scene um and then right at the start of this scene obviously we see pippet playing around with his owner on the beach and like that's when we get the music start up again and Pippet kind of like jumps into the water as well, like similarly to how Alex did and the music is still playing. So in my heart, in my dreams, Pippet is still very much alive. Um, and that's, uh, um, that's my story and I'm sticking with it. <laughs> uh, that's not a bad justification because I just wrote a, a, a paper for my class on the opening scene, the Chrissy shark attack. And mm. uh, the music stops in that scene as well. Um, Ooh, it's, it's okay. the, uh, yeah, I noticed that because of what you had said when Alex hits the water, I had watched, I had written the paper after we recorded that episode and you're welcome. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and you can hear like, as they leave, you can hear the music that they're playing at the campfire. And then there's a certain cut where, so it's, um, the camera's in front of Chrissy and Tom the whole time they're running down the beach. And then, uh, as soon as Chrissy takes her top off to prevent showing the nudity um, from it, it cuts to it's the the cameras behind her. Mm-hmm. And as soon as that cut happens, the music you can't hear the music anymore. And then it is dead silent in the score mm-hmm. until the shark shows up. Interesting. And yeah, I mean that there is definitely something in this and in how the Jaws theme, in particular, the one we all know signifies the presence of the shark and there are plenty of moments in this and actually we get one in this scene as well where there's this kind of like great like fake out with the woman screaming and being dragged under but we don't Mm. hear the sound of the shark which is the score and then it comes up again later where the the kids are playing the prank and they've got like the fake shark fin um and everyone is like screaming and freaking out in the water and there is no score in that moment so it's they kind of play around with it a little bit because obviously in this scene we're talking about how and with chrissy as well how the music cutting out and then going to silence indicates the victim or you know whoever is going to be the next victim it'll be interesting to see if that continues um as we go along it's something i'm going to be looking out for but yeah certainly the importance of music i think everyone knows that you know we only the shark is only coming when we hear that that part of the score you know the the shark score if you will um so yeah i I, that's i really just want pippet to be alive that's all i want um and i know people sort of say you know because we get the bit i think in the next moment or maybe after that when his owner is sort of calling out for him and he's nowhere to be seen but dogs are smart so i think pippet just got out the sea and was like look i'm just gonna go and dry off on the beach for a minute maybe find a snack or something and he's safely running around chasing sticks uh away from the shark that's my theory (laughs) all right yeah (laughs) um i'll go with it yeah (laughs) thank you thank you it's just i just i because i have to mark films down when a dog dies and we see it so i mean jaws obviously escapes that because jaws is perfect um but yeah. <laughs> and we didn't see um, it. We don't see it happen either exactly. way. Exactly. Exactly. And uh, yeah, I 
I'm 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 fairly confident that uh, that he's still alive. That's uh... <laughs> um, yeah. As well, like um, the just thinking about the the sort of fake out moment as I just mentioned it there with the the woman and she sort of screams and is dragged under and it does make you think of what happened to to Chrissy because obviously she is she is pulled from from underneath as well and mm-hmm. is sort of screaming as that's happening so that's a great kind of like callback and it sort of is just another thing that like sets our our nerves on edge and actually prior to that I think is when we see the shape in the water sort of gliding towards the the woman um which ends up being bad hat harry um so yeah just a a couple of like really great moments that just sort of make you sort of like sit upright almost and and brody does like you said he he gets up out of his chair and then just just to see what's happening and it's little things like that that sort of break the tension because they they make you laugh um when you know you sort of think it's going to go the other way and what you said about horror and comedy kind of like walking that very like fine line where something happening is either going to make you laugh or make you scream or gasp or whatever it is um and yeah i just think that's very effectively done in this scene and i really like the reaction um from brody as well like as he kind of sits back down in his chair like he looks like he's like cursing himself out he's like oh you idiot like (laughs) why did you why did you think it was a shark or something like that that's yeah and i think too uh, you know we don't see all of brody's day in between Mm. this right and i feel like any maybe this is my you know anxiety brain uh but any time and maybe why i'd be a bad policeman um but (laughs) i feel like if i learned this i would be like okay time to learn everything there is about sharks and so we Mm. see him doing that later but i would presume he's already kind of started this journey um Mm -hmm. And so I think you would see the statistics on shark attacks and they're very low. And so, you know, once again, maybe this is my anxiety brain. When you see Bad Hat Harry come up and you're like, oh, that's the shark. And then he comes up, you're like, oh, yeah, what am I doing? I'm freaking out. But shark attacks are really rare, actually. Mm. Um, So I totally... hashtag relatable where it's like (laughs) brain says worst case scenario possible and then said thing you're worried about happens and it's fine because of course it is um you know like you're 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 like not that i think we don't see brody struggle with anxiety over the course of the movie but i do think that there's a certain relatability as someone with anxiety where it's like oh no, this is definitely going to happen. And then the thing is, he does end up being right. And that so when you have anxiety and it's right, you're like, see, I told you so. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm not crazy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, uh, but I, I think it does go to illustrate like how many times is it not that before it is that? Mm. Uh, which also does make the anxiety sufferer go, but it was still that. Um yeah i think is there after the, i'm trying to think i didn't watch ahead either i was trying to be good is there another fake out that happens before alex because it's quite often they do these things in threes so it's like you get one and you kind of have that like oh no it's not that and then you get the moment with like the woman screaming i think after mm-hmm. that it is then just i alex think it's getting killed yeah i think it's moment of truth it's not this isn't the scene with the kids that's on the fourth of july right with the cardboard fin yeah 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 then yeah well yeah why would the kids have the cardboard fin before they mm. even knew yeah um <laughs> just got it in stock got it right yeah now. just just on the off chance <laughs> yeah but that's yeah that's a good point actually because i i uh, suffer with anxiety myself so i completely relate and know what that's like and he uh, there's something in the fact that it happens it happens twice it's almost like extra reassuring except Mm -hmm. it then isn't because you know he sort of sees the figure in the water and is like oh my goodness is that oh no okay no it's not and then i think it's after the 
yeah, after the woman screaming, I think is then when he sort of sits down and, and looks like he's kind of cursing himself out. So it yeah. happens once and you sort of think, okay, just a fluke. And then it happens again. And he's clearly like sat himself down and is like, pull yourself together, Brody. Like, you know, clearly it's not, it's not that. Which then makes the moment when it is that and it is the shark, it makes it even more impactful because we've kind of gone on that roller coaster highs and lows journey with Brody and this scene is so effective in building that tension in in the editing that we spoke about and showing us the different people that it could be you know the the choice of victims that the shark has and seeing Brody reacting to all of that as well and then having these two moments with you know thinking it could be the shark and then it's not it's like we go through that whole journey with Brody and it's so effectively done and again I don't think until right at the end Brody says anything until he's talking to Ellen so yeah he Roy Scheider I mean he conveys so much by saying so little and we know through every facial expression everything that's going on we know exactly what he is thinking and feeling and his anxiety is kind of increasing as this scene goes on and so is ours as well and the moment that it really like peaks for me is when you see that like massive group of kids in the background yep. all like start going towards the water like i wrote in my notes i was just like the kids are departing on mass and then i'm just like all caps i am scared <laughs> because his kids are amongst that group as as well and there's already a lot of people in the water and a lot of noise and a lot of disturbance and splashing and then you see this group of i don't know maybe eight to ten kids just all kind of then piling into the water and it's sort of like oh no (laughs) yeah yeah it's a lot and um it's really it's really cool looking like the 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 it's like it almost seems like like a like a herd or a flock of animals like heading Mm. towards the water like it it I don't know. It was this weird thing. We're watching it today. I was like, it almost feels like a nature movie where like you just see like them migrate out of the shot. And mm. it's this huge flurry of movement towards the water. And it's really, um, sure, cool. Uh, we'll just double down on me being a psycho from last week. It's really cool <laughs> because you get this sense of like, oh no, like now it can be any of them. Like we know, like... <laughs> It's it's it just adds so much more to the tension because it's like okay I know the players it's the couple now we have Bad Hat Harry now we have the woman in the bathing suit we have Pippet and his owner and we have Alex got it mm. five people just got to pay attention to five people and then all of a sudden this mass of children mm-hmm. in the water and it's like okay well there's the there's the smorgasbord like. Yeah, it's gone from a, a, a just a smorgasbord to like an all-you-can-eat. It's, yeah. it's like the shark is now spoilt for choice about which one of these tasty morsels he's gonna be he's gonna be having for lunch. But yeah, yeah, it's they all kind of like get up and leave at the same time as well, and it just it feels in that moment like the control is lost. And also, Completely. no fault of Ellen's, but Ellen is talking to Brody, so he's he is aware that his children and this group of kids are going into the sea because that's what him and Ellen are talking about. But he's also, having had experienced those two things that have sort of lessened his anxiety, he's Mm. now like a little bit off the ball or not quite as focused as he was prior to that. And then, you know, coming up next, you then have the great exchange with with Harry and that really kind of... (laughs) (laughs) it takes his takes his focus away but yeah there's oh i mean there is an awful lot happening in in this scene and i'm glad i got to watch it so many times because i kept picking up on something different every single time i watched it and just the way it all kind of like plays out is just it is very much like that watching something terrible happen in slow motion and there is nothing we can do to stop it and Brody's anxiety as well understandable because he is scared of the ocean he doesn't he doesn't swim that that comes up in his conversation with Harry but I think we know that about 
Brody at this point, or I can't remember if it's brought up. Um, I think we get the sense that he is nervous around water by the way he looks out to sea after they found Chrissy's body, and he just seems to be quite uncomfortable around water. So I think that's all adding to his discomfort and his anxiety as well, because even if something does happen, what is what is he going to be able to do to stop it at that stage? It's like all the power is taken away from him and now this massive group of kids have gone out and it's like the control is lost at this point and there is only one outcome from this point on. Yep. Yeah, it is that that is the big shift in this scene is it is it is the point of no return. It is the inevitable that mm-hmm. something bad is going to happen and like I think until, you know, on first viewing or whatever, it can feel like, okay, well, maybe it is just kind of uh, um, this almost teaser of what's to come or it's not going to be as bad. And then that happens and it's like, oh, no, like (laughs) you have just increased the odds of one of these people getting attacked by so many percentage points because Mm -hmm. there's so many people to keep track of now. Yeah, yeah we can't count and neither can Brody. It's, there is, yep. There's no hope at this point. It's all downhill from here and I'm ready. I'm excited. We get to see some blood again real soon. So... Yep. <laughs> Who's the I'm psycho sure. now, everyone? <laughs> Give me the blood. Um, yeah, I don't know if you had... I had one other observation that I made. It's a very small thing, but I, I noticed in the, uh, the radio they're sort of talking about the ferry times and whatnot um and they're giving the the nantucket ferries schedule and they say amity martha's vineyard nantucket and i was like that's a nice little shout out to martha's vineyard which is where they obviously filmed this so i like that they're you know really rolling with this amity as a fictional place but then giving a little just a little easter egg there a little nugget for the the good folks of uh martha's vineyard who have given up their island for this film to be filmed on so getting a nice mention in there which i hadn't picked up on before but you know i can't honestly say that in previous watches of jaws i've been listening to the background radio in a scene yeah same i didn't <laughs> yeah, here i, I am. did not notice that <laughs> although my my last point was about the sound it kind of sucks in the scene which is weird because it's a it's a very good sounding movie um it's one of the best sounding movies um but the audio engineering in this, the mix is really tinny, particularly when Ellen's talking to um, Brody. They had to do, I don't know if it was ADR or if they couldn't do ADR with her and they had to fix something in post to make it sound like it. But her, it's, it's in the headphones I was listening on, I was like, oh, this is really tinny. Like it doesn't sound that good. I mean, it's a, it's a small, it's like just Ellen's two lines basically, but it was really it kind of stuck out to me as because it's such a good sounding movie especially on the various restorations we've had over the years that this one moment was like oh that's weird it's i've never noticed it sounds like that before but it's really like it's really bright sounding and it kind of in your face and um yeah i mean no movie is perfect with that kind of stuff so it's not you know a knock on the movie whatsoever uh but it was just like oh i always I've never, I've never really heard that in the in the mix in this movie before. It's not something I've ever thought about it in any other scene. Is it so? Is it just the moment when Ellen speaks? Because I think I've got a counter argument to this. <laughs> uh, I think so. Yes. Okay, I read a thing, so I, I can't take credit for this, but I I can't remember where I read it. Maybe the same excellent uh, site I was reading about the editing, where it says that other people have sort of like picked up on. Ellen's lines in particular being noticeably different in the mix to the rest of the the sound in this scene. Um, and a, potentially a deliberate choice to show that Brody is not really tuned into what Ellen is saying. Mm. And you, you do kind of get that impression because he's just had this altercation with Mr. Taft the you know the the two things sort of going on think that he thought was the shark and then weren't and she at this point is saying like you know ask him if he's okay and he's just gives the sort of very like stock answer of i'm fine and then she sort of says you know you know if, if you don't want the kids to like go out to the you know, and see they can play on the beach or whatever and it's it's those lines that sound a bit different and the impression given is that brody is not really listening to what he was saying so it is potentially 
I don't know if this is just people really, really going into the the fine lines of the of the film. But there's uh, I can take a, what might seem like a flaw and then turn it into something that sounds like Jaws is the greatest film ever made, which it is. But yeah, I don't know. Do you do you think that might be a deliberate choice? Does that make any sense? Or <laughs> I think it might be a happy accident. I don't know if I fully fully buy that, just because I. I don't know. I feel that that to me sounds like something extremely micromanagey that someone <laughs> would do to sure. make that that one thing intentional. Um, and as much as I'm sure Spielberg cares about the project he works on, I'm not sure he's that uh, concerned with it necessarily. And mm. at a certain point, like you got to get stuff out. This film was notoriously plagued with production problems, so the fact that it exists at all is kind of a miracle. Um, <laughs> So I do think it can be viewed that way for sure because art can be interpreted, but I don't know if it was on purpose. Like, I don't know if he would be like, okay, now make it sound bad on purpose Um, because there's nothing else. There's nothing else in the scene to suggest like a dreamlike or um, that we're in Brody's head type of quality. Yeah, I know what you mean. I think it's it could be one of those things as well that someone having picked up on it afterwards, they were then just kind of like, oh, it could be that rather than yeah. it being something that they deliberately chose to do in that in that moment. But when you, I mean, we're doing it right now. We're going like really in depth in this film, you know, minute by minute or thereabouts. And you do pick out meaning and things that you you haven't previously and other people would probably have a completely different reading of certain moments as well and and what they mean so i think that's just the the great thing about film like there are obviously some universal things in jaws that were intentional and kind of everyone picks out you know the particularly like the color meaning and the importance of the score and stuff like that as well but there are the sort of like really small minor nitty gritty things which hopefully we're picking out and able to talk about semi-intelligently but yeah it's you could i think that's a point you could argue forever more about whether it was something that was intentional at the time or whether it is like you said just one of those kind of happy accident things where that is the reading you could have of that moment but it's not necessarily to say they did it super intentionally yeah well in sound mixing too is so it's so um sensitive particularly mm. then um you know just the equipment isn't good like there's an entire website dedicated to like i think it's called beatlesmistakes.com and it's just like people documenting like things that sound different in mm. a Beatles song like things that things that stick out in a mix like for example there's like a snare hit in nowhere man that's way louder once you hear it it you can't unhear it like i hear it every time i listen to the song but it's way louder than any other snare hit in the entire song it doesn't mean (laughs) anything to the overall song it's during an instrumental break it just means like the mic got a little closer or you hit the drum a little bit harder or whatever so Mm. you know and it's not like they're documenting these things i think the other thing too is when you have something that's as popular as the beatles as popular as jaws i would put them kind of in the same camps um Mm. for their respective art forms that people are just going to go over it with a fine-tooth comb and any any little you know hiccup or whatever is going to be uh noticed i don't Mm. think i think people uh shouldn't count it against the movie as a whole of like oh the movie's bad now because this sounds different but i think it's just something people are going to notice uh Mm. when you have something that's as big of a cultural touchstone as the music of the beatles or jaws Mm. yeah i mean that is our whole gig really isn't it right now is just like finding every little thing we can we can find about this film i just actually just a thought that popped into my head is this process in what we're doing and talking about it in so much more detail is it making you watch the film any differently like when you come to watching the scene for each week are you in a different mindset or are you just kind of like oh i get to just watch another great moment of jaws and talk about it Oh, it definitely affects how I view the movie. As a matter of fact, I'm really interested to see how my viewing of the movie in succession at the end of this podcast will be affected Mm -hmm. as a whole. Because I think, I mean, I watched the movie already for class and there were already so many things that I noticed 
that were things we talked about that were repeated throughout the movie and i don't mm. think those are unintentional things yeah um, i mean even down to the the predator versus prey thing in this scene mm. i've never thought that about this scene ever but now i'm like convinced it's part of the rep- repetitive theme of that yeah um and yeah definitely i mean even the me- noticing that the music cuts out when chrissy is running to the beach and doesn't kick back in until the shark shows up mm. um you know the yeah it, it affects my viewing of the movie i've noticed both on like the details of like the actual technical things like the oh the sound drops off here the sound drops off here and then the meta of oh thematically this is connected to this and this like just watching the dominoes get set up and fall and like the 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 succession of setups and you know punchlines like we were talking about earlier that Mm. that keeps happening throughout the movie i'm noticing that way more than i ever have in my you know nearly a decade of Yeah, it's it's making me appreciate it even more, which is the the good way to go on this because I think sometimes when you go so deep into something, you start to really start to resent it. Um, but I don't think that's yeah. possible for me and Jaws. I think that I will always love it, but I'm just loving and appreciating like every small tiny moment and both like like Brody in this scene cursing myself out for not noticing them before but also just being like oh isn't this movie just so freaking great <laughs> it's just the best and i am really 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 trying hard not to watch it the whole way through until we get to the end because i want to have that like really magical experience of having watched like a minute or so each week and then kind of getting to see the complete picture but it's it's honestly getting harder every single week it's i it gets to a point as well i think in the latter half of this movie which i think is my favorite part of the film it's gonna get so much harder to just switch it off when it comes to Mm. you know having to wait until next week to talk about that moment but i'm trying i think i mean you've got a, a fairly good excuse to watch it outside of doing the podcast as well as you are also writing a paper on it so you've you've so far caved and watch it watched it once i believe in our yep podcast watching yeah Yeah. uh yeah it was one time but it was also background noise while i was writing so i wasn't like mega paying attention to it um it was more just to be like i'm writing about jaws i should put jaws on yeah (laughs) it's so weird how like jaws can be both the film that I just have on in the background whilst I'm doing other things and also will stop everything to watch it if I just uh-huh. find it on TV on the off chance. Um yeah, did you sorry, before I go majorly off topic, did you have anything else in this scene or do you think we covered everything? Um yeah, I think that's that's it. Okay. Well, I think that's us for this week uh before we end up talking about the rest of the film which you know it happens um but of course to mention our competition which is still Mm -hmm. running um we've had some entries they are wild the ones that we've had so far i have enjoyed looking at those a great deal so this started i believe on episode two or three Mm -hmm. maybe it was way back when uh, where we got into how you would arrest a shark and discovered pretty difficult um but (laughs) this did inspire our very silly competition which is for you to send us your creative interpretations of sharks being arrested it can be drawn it can be baked onto a cake it can be a cross stitch it can be uh interpretive dance it can be a poem i don't know it's we really there are no (laughs) start a podcast do a podcast about the logistics of arresting a shark (laughs) please uh, there are no <laughs> there are really no rules to this so i'm hoping that we get some very wild and creative things we had a sculpture like a kind of clay sculpture come in <laughs> yes, which is we absolutely did. fantastic um so yeah i'm i'm looking forward to seeing uh what the rest of you come up with the only rule is that there is a closing date because otherwise this could run forever more um i might extend it if you know people are sort of still sending them in closer to the time but as of right now, closing date is Friday the 18th of December. So send your entries uh, over to our email address, which is jawsforaminute at gmail.com. 
Um, and the prize will be a merch package. There's going to be a t-shirt. There's going to be a mug at the very least. And maybe something else as well. We'll see. Um, see how kind Redbubble will be to us <laughs> with our merch package. But it will certainly be those two things and maybe more. Um, so yes, yeah, send, send those in. Um, if you want to send us any feedback or questions or anything else uh then you can send that to our email address as well we'd love to hear from you hear what you think about the show we've had some great comments and stuff on twitter we hit 500 followers which was very exciting um so yeah thank you to everyone who has sort of interacted with us over on on twitter and is uh entertaining our ridiculous uh competition ideas and all the silliness that we get into it's it's been a lot of fun so far um and you can find us on twitter at jaws for a minute and you can find us individually i'm at sarah buttery and mj is at mj smith 891 you can buy our merch as well on redbubble um, and tpublic the link is in our twitter bio um and yeah uh until next week it's jaws o'clock somewhere <laughs>